Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. Thank you for listening to the show. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to Rob's Reliability Project on your favorite podcast platform, as well as share it with your colleagues. If you're looking for more content, check out or follow Rob's Reliability Project on LinkedIn and Facebook for some different types of content and check out robsreliability.com as well. If you're looking for a short daily audio tip, subscribe to Rob's Reliability Tip of the Day on your favorite podcast platform. As well, it's also available on Amazon Alexa as a flash briefing. So check that out. Finally, if there are any topics, guests you'd like to hear from, questions you want answered, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, just send me an email to robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's get rolling. Awesome. Hey guys, I'm here with Sean Miller. I'm excited about this one today. Sean, well, if you don't know who Sean Miller is, Sean Miller is the Canadian operations manager for UE Systems, one of the top ultrasonic detecting companies in the world. Sean, how are you? Oh, doing well, Rob. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited for this one. Like on the podcast, we've talked about vibration. Uh, we've talked about oil analysis. And, you know, for me, one of the other key predictive maintenance technologies is ultrasound. So I'm excited to have this one on and I'm, ha- I'm excited to kind of dive deep into you know, your your thoughts on ultrasound. I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad you asked me. I'm glad we met up at uh, Main Train and uh, and uh, looking forward to, to chatting with you about it. Yeah. So I guess let's, let's get into it. So Sean, you know, how did you get your start in maintenance and reliability? Uh, basically, it was UE Systems. Um, when UE hired me back in January of 2007, um, it, that was my introduction to maintenance reliability. And, and to be honest with you, when, when I started with them, I didn't, I didn't even really know much about any technology. I knew a bit about in, uh, industrial stuff. I knew about you know, being in plants, et cetera, with some of my previous jobs, but I never really understood this whole reliability stuff. And, and even, even getting into it, it was, it was very eye-opening. So uh, that was my first start, and it's and what I like about UE Systems, our company, is that they they have, they want us to grow. They want us to uh, to expand our knowledge. If you know a lot of us, if you ever look us up, a lot of us have our CMRP, and for us that's a big deal because we really want to be not just an ultrasonic provider, but also a solutions provider and reliability as well. So I work for a good company who supports that. Yeah, no, that's great to hear. And and I guess before we jumped on to the podcast, you know. I mentioned that, you know, Fluid Life is a reseller of the ultrasonic, like the UE uh, ultrasonic grease caddies. And, you know, like I, I go around a lot of plants as part of my job and we do lubrication audits. And I often see that people, they just have a hard time getting greasing right. Like I know it's a hard thing to do. You either put too much, you don't put enough, you put it too often. And I always seem to be recommending that they use ultrasonic greasing. Um, do you want to just like give us your thoughts on that and like how easy is it to get into using ultrasonic greasing? Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, Rob. I mean, and, and that those are great. They're great solutions to uh, to start down a better path of uh, lubrication excellence. 
Um, the Grease Caddy itself is really a, a tool that was designed to help people understand that, hey, I'm probably giving it too much grease uh, or, or it's not getting enough, et cetera, et cetera, back in the day. But when we, when we really developed the program more so, when it came down to our digital instruments, um, you, know, you probably are familiar with the Grease Caddy 401. That that particular instrument there is now allowing us to do a, a couple things to actually make it even better and more precise. So we're kind of getting into a bit of a precision maintenance here with the Grease Caddies and any of our instruments that are that are digitally uh, recognized. Um, we're able to take it for, we're able to do historical trending. And literally from the historical trending, we're then able to take that information and say, hey, this bearing, so say we do a route of 50 bearings and, and we out of 50 bearings, we're able to say, you know, out of 50 bearings, these bearings, these 10 bearings that are over our, our alarm level for lubrication, they need lubrication. So then you take out the instrument and grease it to where it reaches back to baseline. And therefore now we're starting to remove some of the time-based uh, components and now getting into condition-based lubrication where it should decrease the amount of over lubrication that's happening in facilities and decrease that, decrease that failure mode. I don't, I'll never say it'll take it away, but it will definitely decrease that failure mode. I love it. I, I really love that. And, and it's something that, you know, like, like obviously greasing, it's, it's a little different than just, Hey, we need to put three shots every two months, right? Like it depends on how are we operating? What's the ambient temperature? how fast are we operating at all these different factors. And so understanding that trend and really looking at each, each point at each time is, is really important. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's always going to be variables, Rob, but at the end of the day, like we're trying to, again, just decrease that failure mode, because if you look at the stats, what's the number one cause of bearing failure, right? It's, 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 it's improper lubrication. If we can go and even say it to the point where it's improper, whether it's over or under lubrication, I'm not going to get into the other lubrication sides where we can start talking about lubrication excellence, but it's more or less that's recognized as the number one cause of bearing failure. And so if we can start to reduce that cause by, by applying ultrasound to that and, and not even on, uh, just on, on a, a standard route, Rob, but also on, on, uh, in, recommissioning something or getting uh, a brand new asset, we can use ultrasound right away to determine if the lubrication levels are correct there. So we can start and increase our mean time between failure from start to eventually we get to that, uh, that failure mode. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And that's like, you know, when we get into commissioning and we get into, you know, looking at that precision maintenance side, it's something that really extends that install period until the point P of of the PF curve. And it's something that's really important. Correct. Absolutely. So, you know, like let's move away a little bit from ultrasonic greasing and, you know, like when we, when I had Ricky Smith on the podcast, uh, we, we he, he talked about using ultrasonics and, and, you know, like I asked him, I was like, well, Ricky, you know, what's our, you know, what are some top tips to get some quick wins? And one of his top tips, and it, it was really one of my favorite things he said was, that if we go into a plant and we use ultrasonics, we can find air leaks really quickly and easily. And if we plug those air leaks up, then, you know, he had a couple sites that, that saved themselves a few compressors. Other than air leaks, what are some things that we can detect using ultrasonics? Sure. Well, we basically break it down into three categories when it comes to ultrasound uh, as a whole, when it comes to uh, condition monitoring. There's the, obviously the leak detection, which you touched on, which does, you know, with vacuum leaks, compressed air leaks. And uh, one thing that Ricky mentioned, you know, he, you got some wins on it. We, we can actually quantify those pressure leaks and say, here, here's how much it's costing you on an annual basis. And that shows 
you know, a quick, you know, return on investment. And I'll be honest with you, I've, I've literally had companies take out the instrument and one day it's paid for. And, I, and I'm not joking, it's been paid for. I did a demo with a guy one time and it was paid for during that demo. <laughs> That's how quick it was. <laughs> That's awesome. So, I mean, that. That's a big win, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's 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 a great example of how easy it is. But then we move into a different category where they have the electrical aspect of ultrasound, where we are, we're able to detect corona, tracking, arcing, partial discharge, um, even mechanical looseness or vibrations in certain electrical assets. And and that's a that's a big big win for ultrasound in a lot of ways because first of all, it's a technology that's not well known, and it, it needs to be because um, in CSA Z four six three, it actually states. It's not a shall, but it's a should. You should use ultrasound as part of your electrical reliability program. And FYI, it's the plug for that. I'm on that committee, and, and I've, I've, they've done some great work, these, these committee members, of getting this now a standard. So CSA Z463 is a standard, and ultrasound is in that standard now. Um, so between the electrical side, uh, then we can jump into mechanical. Mechanical encompasses a lot of different applications, such as you know steam traps, valves, and then we get into obviously rotating hydraulic systems as well. Then we get into rotating equipment like rotating equipment for bearings, uh, in pumps, electric motors, gears, gearboxes, etc. So the versatility of the equipment is 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 probably one of the uh, one of the best um, assets of it because now we can apply it to different areas. Uh, you may start off with one one uh, type of application like leak detection, as Ricky mentioned, but then you can move into other applications and really see some see some. Uh, wins coming through again reliability and uh obviously when it comes to energy conservation yeah no that's awesome and, and something that like i love about the example where you know you're doing a demo for somebody and they pay it off really quickly is is just the simplicity and the easy kind of use of of a technology and like i see this a lot in oil analysis and i'm sure people see it in vibration too is there's a fair amount of work to, and and like learning that you have to use to get up to a level where you can start diagnosing failures where, you know, like a technology like thermography, it's pretty easy to say, you know, if we look at like a set of four pumps, well, one of them's running hotter than the other two. So I think it's something that I like to see is, is if it's easy enough where somebody can pick it up within a couple of days, it's something that, that I'm a huge fan of. Absolutely. I think that's it's, it's a big draw to ultrasound. It's attractive because it is easy to use. Um, I, I told you earlier before we started this, I'm a newfie with ADHD. And for me to actually do this, uh, ultrasound is great for me. It's awesome. <laughs> so um, it's definitely an easy technology to, to implement. Um, you can have it as, uh, I'll say bare bone for lack of a better phrase, bare bone or, or minimal to taking it to an extreme where you can bring it up to a level where you're, you're monitoring bearing wear and seeing the inner race, outer race defects, you're seeing, you know, the various types of spectrums that we can pull up out of these uh, uh, condition-based monitoring techniques. It's, it's actually a, a great technology to, 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 it's very versatile that way, not only with application-wise, but, you know, a minimal way to a maximum way. Yeah. And so if someone's listening and they want to get started with an ultrasonics program, like how would they get started like which product would they pick and like what kind of, you know, how would you guide them in that, in that process? Sure. Um, at the end of the day, like the, uh, here's what I'll say first is, is contact us, contact us, ask us about what applications you're wanting to use it for. Obviously there's some sort of intrigue there. Is, are you looking for lubrication? Are you looking to do leak detection? Which really are the big ones that we would see 
most companies starting off with. Especially in Ontario, we've obviously had very high hydro rates. I'm sure you're very aware of that. And a lot of companies are saying, Let's, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And a lot of companies are buying, you know, one of our uh, leak detectors to, to find leaks to, to, save on, to save on the bottom line, as you said before. So contact us. We, we, we'll go through like a little bit. For, for me, I, I actually ask, what are you looking to use this for? Where did you, where'd you hear about us? And why are, what are you trying to apply this to? And then from there, we generally get into a facility and start talking to them, uh, you know, showing them different instruments to say, listen, you've got opportunities for this and this. Are you wanting to grow into an instrument? Are you wanting just to do something right now so you can get, you know, that, that return on investment really quickly, et cetera? Um, so there's different ways of going about it. But, I mean, to start off, it just, just let's educate let's educate the people who want to uh, try this out. And, and, I, and by all means, you know, that's what we're here for. Call us. Uh, get us. Get us down to your facility so we can get in there and work with you and anybody else and start blueprinting certain things. And, and then from there, we can say, which applicate, which, which instrument fits your needs the best, which instrument is it? And that way it, for them, it ends up being them deciding it at the end of the day, because we've just shown them what they, what they need to use. And all they do is pick what they need. And then from there, we get them going on some training after they, the purchase is done. And then from there, obviously, then we can expand on that with, you know, various level one, level two uh, type training, ISO training that we, uh, that we teach. And, uh, and hopefully from there, you know, they build procedures and move on and continue on. So I know it's a bit of a short way of saying it, but it, it's less complicated that way. Obviously, there's more involved, but uh, that's the simplest way I'd say. Contact us, educate yourself, get us down there uh, to your facility, and we can, we can work with you guys and uh, build that relationship as well. No, that's awesome. And, and that's one thing I really liked about, at least, the, you know, like on the Grease Caddy end is, if you buy the Grease Caddy, it comes with one day on-site training. And I just think that that is so valuable. Oh, 100%. Because the one thing we want to do, you know, it's uh, we, we want to make our users good users. And we want to start them off with a foundation. And that's why we want to get in there. After the purchase is done, we get in there and work with our end users. And again, building that relationship. But it, it ends up bringing out a lot of things. We get to learn about the, tech, the, the facility that they're in. We learn about the assets that they're working with troubleshoot anything and you know get them moving in the software so they can they can start to maximize this thing i've had many companies just take a one day after i've taught them about just a, a training for one day and they've run with it and i've had companies after that say well you know what we need more training we need to do a you know an implementation training in our facility and, and we're going to send maybe some of our champions to a level one um, and or level two as well uh so it, it, it really does vary on what you're looking for but it also depends on the application so there's a lot of different ways of going about it, but we want to we want to walk the customer or the end user through that, so that um, they, they know that they're getting the right piece of equipment. They're, they're, that, that we build that relationship with them as well. I, I'm a key on relationships because uh, we really want to make sure that we get our face in front of you, that we can talk to you, and, and make sure that you're, you know, that we're here on your side and we're gonna, we're going to help you improve this program as best as we can. Yeah, and that's I mean that's a key thing in reliability, right? Is is we often go out as you know, consultants, and we see people struggling with their programs. And, and a lot of it, you know, it's not easy. Like, you know, we sit here on a, and talk about it, and it sounds easy, right? Like, hey, I can implement an ultrasound pro, uh, project, in, in, and we talk about it for two minutes, right? But it's really, you know, if we don't affect the guy on the floor, and we don't change the way he perceives his job or what how he does his job, we really haven't done anything and it's a lot of work. And so, you know, being able to reach out to us and like, you can obviously reach out to me if you're listening and you have any questions, but we're here to help. And so that's, that's one of the Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Like that's one of the key facets, right? Is, is why I wanted to start this podcast was like, Hey, like we're here to teach you stuff, but also like, Hey, you know, like you can, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. You can email me. I'm happy to answer any questions. Yeah, it's just, it's, a, it's amazing how it's such a small community. This reliability community is, even though it, you go to these conferences, I guess MRP, INC, uh, main train up here, you know, it's, 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 it looks big, but really it's a small community and you really get to know who's, who's the, who's the people to contact, who are the gurus to, to, to learn from, uh, who the books to read, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and that's, and that's why I appreciate it. But that's why I'm glad we're very part of a, we're part of a great community that way. Yeah, no, I, I think the community is awesome. And so I guess, I guess, Sean, so when we start off with, with using a predictive maintenance technology, usually what I say and what we've talked about on here before is to start off with, you know, what's kind of the fundamental thing that we're trying to do? Like, what are we trying to, gonna, are we going to start off with an RCM? Are we going to start off with a criticality and really define our maintenance program? Now, if we selected ultrasound, you know, on our equipment, and we've selected an interval kind of what's the next step like there there obviously are different types of detectors now what are those different detectors and kind of how do they each do different things well basically we have your we would consider the lower end instruments that are really designed more for a specific application like we'll say and i i'll put them in that uh category just because that we have higher end instruments that really can can be a full condition monitoring program. So you have a, a lower end instrument like a we have an Ultra Probe three thousand, which is designed specifically really more for leak detection. And that that Ultra Probe comes with software, and our software is free, which is even better. Uh, along with the apps that support as well, we have apps on our phones now, which is uh, either Samsung or Apple that support a leak detector app. So we can actually plug in the numbers we get, and enter that numbers those numbers into the app. And and at the end of the day, you you walk back to your office, you've emailed the uh, uh, report back to yourself, and there it is on your uh, in your email, and you can say, this is how much we're losing in a year. So that's also, you can add the grease caddy into that. Obviously, we're using the grease caddy to do mainly one thing, but we can also do, you know, we could, we're looking at lubrication excellence, but we're also trying, we can monitor bearing wear with that as well. And then we can move up to our higher end instruments where we have, say, an Ultra Probe 10,000 or 15,000, where now we're getting into sound recording where we can really start doing a lot more analysis. We can start seeing those bearing defects. We can start to see those electrical faults that, you know, we can actually detect, hey, that is corona or that is tracking or arcing in our spectral analysis software because these instruments actually do record the sounds. They have onboard sound recording. And then from there, we can really get a bigger analysis of the failure modes we're looking at. And, and even some of our instruments have a strobe light on it, temperature, uh, onboard spectral analysis, uh, you name it. I mean, uh, one I'm expecting eventually us to come out one that's going to cook us breakfast at some point because it's because we're getting so uh, we're getting so uh, involved in, in being able to create a, a better better system, and that's that's what we're looking for. It's all customer driven too, by the way. <laughs> I'm waiting for the breakfast one. I could use that. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's great, and it's something that well. Like, let's dig in a little bit more into the electrical one. Like, mm -hmm. where where do people like where would people start with that? Like, are you looking at the like the electrical boxes or the fuses or or how does that work? Yes, and yes. <laughs> Basically, anything that has a, an electrical asset, we're talking like you got fuses, you've got uh, um, MCCs, switchgear, uh, junction boxes. You name uh, even in the in the um, utilities, you've got your 
insulators, your bushings, your oil filled transformers, dry transformers applied to everything is what what ultrasound is detecting in these is actually ionization. So if you're ever, if anyone's ever wondering what the difference between infrared and ultrasound is, most people will say they can tell you what infrared is. It's heat and it's and it's being caused by resistance, obviously. We're ultrasound, we're detecting and we're hearing ionization. So that ionization creates a source of ultrasound for us. And from there, we're able to use those that ionization to say, hey, you know, we have corona happening here based on where the ionization points are in the spectrum. Uh, this is tracking based on the flashover and that low current pathway occurring. And of course, arcing where we have high current pathway now going to ground. Uh, you can see the size of the discharges and with, a, with the lack of ionization. It, it's applied in so many different areas of electrical um, electrical work. Again, going from utilities down to plants, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of different ways it's applied and it's very successful. Uh, and again, one of the reasons why it's in CSA Z463. Now, is is that CSA Z463, is that a safety standard or what kind of standard is that? So the safety standard for electrical is CSA Z462, which is safety for the workplace. Um, that's the standard in Canada. Uh, obviously, mirrors NFPA 70, I think it's 70E. Um, in Canada, this one is actually CSA Z463 is really deemed as electrical maintenance reliability standard. Cool. No, it's the first I've heard of it. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's and so it, it officially became a standard just a, a month or two ago. Before it was just a do, it was a document that was out, uh, obviously for people to to understand and, and realize. Hey, there's more to this than just you know. There's a safety aspect, which is huge, but the CSA Z four six three introduced something, and it's completely separate from. And, and people may think, well, they mirror NFPA seventy B. It actually doesn't. CSA Z four six three is its own document. And therefore, um, it is its own standard by itself, uh, not mirroring uh, the, the, the NFPA document. So it was designed more for the all about reliability. So sitting down in these committee uh, committee meetings, it's, it was amazing to, to hear, you know, how everybody's very in tune with the reliability and the asset reliability of electrical uh, machines, electrical assets, and being able to apply, obviously, you know, RCA, failure modes effects analysis to that, anything reliability related, but also then what technologies can be used as well. And obviously ultrasound being in there right below infrared, right below it in appendix seven, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. And, and I mean, like for people listening, and I got this question on LinkedIn the other day was, you know, where do we start with predictive maintenance? And in my opinion, where you start are kind of the big four, I guess, and the big four would be, you know, oil analysis, vibration, ultrasound, and thermography. You know, those are kind of where I would start. Now, Sean, do you, would you have any, would you add to that list at all? Uh, you mean you got motor current analysis or motor circuit analysis as well. Um, there's also that new technology, the motion amplification that RDI does, great technology. Uh, I'm, I'm actually trying to figure out where that one would fit in the PF curve if it's kind of after vibration or before vibration or if it's you know before infrared um that's something I'm, but it's a great technology if anybody has seen it but um th those you're right the big four are really what you're what, what's we're contacted about uh and still believe it or not ultrasound is still probably one that's the least known funny enough because um people don't realize where we can apply the technology to and it's and it's so vast that it uh people are surprised that oh i didn't realize you could do that or you could do that so, um, but you're absolutely correct. Those, but those are the two I would probably add was the uh, motor circuit analysis, uh, no, sorry, um, motor current analysis and or uh, motion amplification, which I believe it's RDI who does that. So great technologies as well. Yeah, and, and definitely like, but I mean, obviously, right? So those cover the vast majority of failure modes. But now 
Like we have to start off. I'm not going to just tell you, hey, blanket statement, go out and use all four of those. It starts off with like RCM fundamentals, understanding what the failure mode is and what those failure effects are, and then really digging into how does that failure mode progress and how can we detect that? And that will tell you which technology to use. And based on that, you'll know kind of where it falls on the PF curve, right? Absolutely. And that's 100% correct. Because I think the biggest question, especially back in the day, maybe not so as much now, is I think people are educating themselves a lot more now. But people, they say, what's the best technology? <laughs> and it's and like, okay, well, now the answer is, well, what failure modes are you dealing with? Have you done a failure modes effects analysis? Even if you haven't, I'm sure you understand, hey, that motor is failing because of so-and-so or, or X and Y, and this electrical panel is failing or this is because of X and Y. So the idea is, is that if you understand what you're dealing with, so again, going back to that failure mode of lubrication, uh, because that's generally the biggest thing a lot of companies are dealing with when it comes to their electric motors, is that we have a problem with lubrication. I'm, I'm in plants now, Rob, where they're not even lubricating their electric motors anymore. It, it's, it's crazy. And I, I walk in there and do a demo, and every time we lubricate it, just everything just drops. This goes right down to that consistent white noise sound. So it's, it's actually quite funny to see that. But at the same time, it's a good starting point. But you're, you're absolutely right, going back to the PF curve. And obviously, you know, when, when we're dealing with the PF curve, we're, we're always looking at this and going, well, this is ultrasound is for everything. And this, it's all set up a certain way when we see it. It's not. Uh, the PF curve that you see is designed really, that we generally would see the normal one, is for rolling element bearings. And that's why ultrasound is at the top of the, of the list there, that we can detect a defect in a rolling element bearing first because we're using high-frequency friction. When we get down into vibration analysis, some do stress waves, and some get into, obviously, velocity, acceleration, displacement, et cetera, and then you go down there. But that's for that failure mode. But as you, as you, if you change failure modes uh, on that PF curve, then you all of a sudden start realizing, well, say I've got a misalignment issue now. Well, ultrasound, I would say, if you're failure mode mapping it, I would say ultrasound is a general technology that can detect possibly, a, a, that can detect a misalignment. However, the more specific app, uh, technology would be what, Rob? Vibration analysis, right? I love that point. And, it, and it's something that's really misunderstood, right? Is the PF curve is failure mode specific. Correct. Absolutely. Yep. And so we could change that even to electrical, right? You could go in to say, like, here's a transformer. Well, what's a better technology to detect an earlier detection? Well, if you're going to, depending on now, we start getting into variables, do we have to open up the cabinet? Well, if we have to open it up or if there's a possibility of opening it up, then we could use infrared, but we can scan. Ideally, that first initial would be in this case, could be ultrasound because we don't have to open up the panels to detect what's going on behind there. So that panel enclosure, we can actually use ultrasound on it first to say, hey, it's safe to open up. Then we can open it up with infrared and then do a scan if we know that it's safe to open up. I love it. And and that's another thing, right? So safety is huge. Like I see so often when I go out and look at pe where people are taking oil samples and some of the worst ones were there are these agitator gearboxes that shake the platform and everything. And these guys are told to sample it. And it's just, well, first off, they just never do until it's locked out, tagged out. But it's it's just something that just shows like a lack of understanding it when the maintenance program was set up. Correct. And it's and it's funny. And I, I, I talked to uh, people like Sean Eisenhower about this uh, a while back. You know, I, I even presented this to my sales team was that, you know, you look at the PF curve and yeah, it's, you look at the top part, which is the standard curve that we see from, you know, from D to I to P to F now. Uh, and then, but I generally draw a curve underneath that. And I'm not sure if this really relates to what we're talking about, but I think it's important to mention that, you know, we, we, that curve is drawn underneath there for so many reasons. And, and some people see that curve that's mirroring the PF curve underneath 
as many different curves. Most, most companies would say it's a cost curve, right? The sooner you find that defect, the, the, you know, the less costly it is, right? And then as it progresses to functional failure, when we say functional failure, I mean, it actually shuts down. When we say, you know, defect, we're really re referring to the true definition of failure, where it's not meeting its minimum requirements. But then you have the functional failure, where it's going to cost you more money, where nothing is working at this point. But yeah, that curve that mirrors on top there, I generally would, you know, yes, management would say it's cost, but I try and relate it to the guys I'm working with because guys aren't going to see that cost go into their into their paychecks, right? And and so I draw a curve underneath there. Yeah, there's the cost side, but I also start drawing a curve to mirror, say, okay, how about this is your family curve? You know, you find that defect earlier, you have more family time. Uh, and if, if it gets further and further to failure, now you're getting called at 2.30 in the morning to come in and fix something that just event, that just now functionally failed. Um I call that curve also the, the, the hobby curve. Maybe you have a hobby. I like to golf. And for me, if I can golf more and, and, and have, you know, my job to do my, when I want to do it, that's great. I'll, I'll, I, uh, but I know that if I find that failure earlier, I'll probably have more time to golf. Um, in some cases, the people I deal with, it might be the sanity curve. You're more sane when you find the defect earlier. And you're more insane when it be always, you're always functionally failing. You're being reactive, right? So that's just a little side thing. But I, I kind of got to understand that people are – maybe not see that cost go back into their wallet, but they do feel it emotionally. And that's with family, hobby, you know, just, just everyday life. And I think that's an important thing to mention when, uh, when talking about that as well. Yeah, no, I love that. And, and I've used a similar, a similar thing when, when I talk about, you know, like goals for reliability is just how many calls you want to get on the weekend. Right. And it's the same thing. And it's, I just love relating it because you're right. Like, for a lot of people, you know, you're going to get paid what you're going to get paid. And sometimes, you know, for the maintenance guys, they want that, you know, that overtime or whatever to come in and fix it. Right. Yeah. And I've dealt with people like that. And here's the funny story where I'll say, listen, they'll go, listen, we don't really care about this very much because we want to do overtime. I go, that's great. What about this? How about you go and find your leaks? And then during your overtime, you fix them. And I've actually had guys say, well, I don't want to do that. I go, so you want selective overtime is what you're saying, Right. And I'm going, this, this is a good opportunity because this is that low-hanging fruit we are talking about earlier. This can be fixed so easily, not, or maybe not as easy, but it, it need to be fixed, but no one wants to do them. And that's why you see tags hanging in facilities. Even after a survey's been done, they just sit there because they're never fixed. Well, if you want to do overtime, that's what you want to do. That's where you're going to start to see, uh, see things start to happen quickly. Yeah, and that's where you're going to add value. Absolutely. So, Sean, like... Uh, I got a couple more questions and we'll get you out of here. But one of those questions is going to be, so if we're like, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see when people are implementing an ultrasound program? Like obviously one of those is tagging the equipment with a leak, but not actually doing anything about it. But what are some other ones? Well, I mean, I can go from it from many angles. One would be, uh, I, I kind of mentioned this at main train at a, at a round table there. It was, it's, I see a lot of companies pick up these technologies and, and then all of a sudden, the old golf saying comes into effect, paralysis by analysis. And, and, they, and they're trying to overanalyze and try and get everything done before they even start something. And I'm like, you know what? Just get out there and do it. And, and, and what I've developed uh, for a lot of my companies is say, listen, if you, can, if you can give, so I'm talking to a maintenance manager now, and I'm saying, can you give one of your guys or a couple of your guys, give them a half an hour a week with this instrument? And they're like, well, to do what? I go, well, basically what we're going to do is we're going to create a route of, say, 20 bearings, okay? 20 bearings, that's, which could be, you know, uh, 10 assets or whatever the case. 20 bearings, 
And all I want them to do is go out for half an hour. And it, it will only take them half an hour if it's in a close proximity area. Go out and take those readings and bring them back. I want you to do this for eight weeks straight. They're like, that's it? I go, yeah, because what, you, what you're going to develop is A, a feel for the instrument and you're going to get better at using it. B, you're going to start you know, cre- uh, creating more reliable, reliable and repeatable uh, procedures or, or I guess in this case, work, that, work ethic. And then you're going to start to see data form out over eight weeks. And from there, you're going to start to see, hey, this is, this is good stuff. And then you'll start to see either failure modes occurring. You'll start to see, hey, these things are running great. And then from there, after that eight weeks, then you have a lot more. And you probably even see the gentlemen who, or the people who are doing this type of route. Um, they're, they're probably out there getting quicker as they do it because they're getting more experience with it. So it all boils down to a lot of different things. So that, that's one thing. And then after eight weeks, they can start to move out into different routes and, and expand on it. So start a little pilot project in your facility if you can even start that. That's even before procedures. Now, one of the things I would say, and this is what we definitely teach a lot in our level two, is procedure writing, writing procedures. And this is where it needs to be really ham, uh, hammered into people is that you need to have a procedure because, you know, maybe one guy is there doing the ultrasound program, then he's promoted or relieves or whatever the case. And then now we have a guy who's moved into that position and guess what? There's no procedure there to, to indicate what they should do, like, you know, what frequency they should be on, uh, you know, what, what's the, the um, you know, what asset are we actually looking at here? What are the test points, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, how do we validate the instrument from the, to ensure it's in calibration? The, the many different things to write in the procedure. So procedures are very important. I think it's where some of the, some of the, um, um, some of the programs do miss that. The procedures aren't there. Then we've got an issue. And then, and I'll be honest with you, and I hate, I hate to throw management under the bus, but I've seen management actually destroy a program. And, and, I'll, and I'll give you one story that happened years ago when I was at a facility where, you know, we, we hear this term predictive maintenance. And, and then for me, I'm not a fan of that term. And, and the reason why is this is actually comes from this story. We, we had a, a bunch of guys going out with our technology and they're finding defects. Like they're literally finding them. I'm looking at them going, that's defective. It's, that's, that's a defect there. And, and it's, it's obvious. They come back and, this, and what should be a silver bullet or a, a, a basically something that should be, um, you know, congratulated. All of a sudden now the manager asks this individual, okay, great. Well, how long is it going to last? Right. And is that not the worst question you can ask somebody when you're doing, dealing with these technologies? Like, that's, that's so for them, this, these guys felt small. They felt like, what's the point of doing this? We're not even, we're going out doing all this work and we're coming back. We're not even getting rewarded for it. And we're getting this question that we can't even answer. And I basically said to them, you can't answer that question. In fact, that, that same manager came up to me when we were doing a training session there, and we found some defects. And he came up to me and goes, oh, that's the, I said, this is defective. He's like, and, you know, I gave him the failure mode. He's like, oh, great. So how long is it going to last? And, I, and, the, and the people who I was training that week, kind of, kind of, I was kind of moving them out of that culture. They started laughing. And I said to the guy, well, that's a great question. I said, well, let me ask you this. When are you going to die? And he looks at me as if I had four heads. And I said, well, that's the same question you're asking these guys. You can't answer that and neither can they. So don't give them that question because they're finding things that you can now start to take action on. This is the, this is the top of that PF curve now, right? So the question should be, you know, how can we, can we make it to a next shutdown? Well, absolutely. If you start to, if you can go out and monitor it more often or more frequently, we can start to see yeah, that, that, you know, that decibel trend is not going up. So we can, yeah, make it definitely make it to our next shutdown or maybe it's the opposite. It's going up even more and more. And now guess what? We've got to start taking action on that sooner than later. And you probably will use other technologies to confirm that as well. So it, there's a few scenarios. I could probably talk about these for a long time, Rob, because I see a lot of situations, you know, getting a champion as opposed to having multiple people doing this. This is where I see these things, you know, fail 
um, having the wrong person doing it, believe it or not. I mean, that sounds funny to say, but there's, I've seen guys who, you know, maybe shouldn't be doing this, this particular, uh, using this technology, but there are other guys who are chomping on the bit who want to use it, who, who could be good at it. So there's a lot of different scenarios and variables that we could, I could go through, but I think those are the ones that I would say the most that, uh, I've seen the, uh, the, the problems happen. And again, I, I can't emphasize enough. I think for the biggest thing is getting procedures in place so that way they can so create an SOP and basically you're, you're on your way. You, you would be, you'll be much better equipped to continue on with your program if that's done. Oh yeah. I, I love that. And I love, you know, I love that story. And I also love the thing you mentioned was, you know, having the right champion. That's something I see in lubrication a lot. And, and it's something where the, I've seen probably, you know, three to four programs that I would say are like probably world-class, or at least they're, they're, they're in the top echelon of, of programs out there. And they were all uh, headed by a champion that really cared and really liked their job and really was passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's like, it doesn't matter what technology you're using, right? It's if you like your job and you're into it and you're passionate about it, you're going to find a way to do it the best. That's right. I agree hundred percent. And one thing I wanted to, to, to kind of touch on Sean, before we get you out of here was I saw an article about I guess it was in, it was in Maint World magazine and it was an article about, you know, using ultrasound and you guys with UE system partnering with Cortic uh, and using, you know, their AI platform on ultrasonic data. So can you give us a little insight on that? Oh yeah, it's a great story. So uh, Blair Fraser, uh, who works for Lakeside as well, um, it's so Cortic Lakeside, but it mainly works for Lakeside. We were troubleshooting these the uh, specific a specific facility that has very specific type of application or, or asset that these these um these specific ones I can't remember the name of them off my head but it'll come to me eventually but basically they they had bought some of our analog uh, 750 sensors which are permanent sensors that can usually be drawn brought back to a PLC or a delta V type uh, type um, connector there and what happens is is that we were they were trying to figure out they're trying to get these alarms figured out but. What happened was with uh, Blair's experience and with Blair's knowledge, they brought in an AI and they, and they basically, the AI started to find and learn. And I think Blair could probably tell you better, but it was either three or three weeks or three months. I think it was three months that it started to learn and sort of realize like what's normal working uh, versus non-normal working and what happens when this happens. So it was learning as it went. And by the, and, the, and this is the presentation that Blair and I did at Maintrain this year, but also he's done it at SMRP in various areas. So I, I really look up to Blair in terms of the, when it comes to the IIoT stuff and and especially AI, because I'm just I just I get blown away uh, of what what how much he's learned in such a short period of time. So really good advocate for uh, for ultrasound as well. So he they, they basically were able to save millions of dollars at this specific uh, facility. Uh, um, it was a pharmaceutical facility actually, and uh, it, it was amazing how it worked out. So this was something that we kind of all. Got together with myself, Blair, and even our head office, uh, our president, uh, and um, our VP of uh, um, uh, worldwide sales, um, just director of sales, all got together and kind of said, "Okay, this is this will work. These use these inst- use these the specific type. Um, um, in this case, it was the 750s, which were analog sensors, and that can be worked when with the uh, your PLCs there, and then they develop the AI to start learning." And the success has been great. So he actually, Blair presented something down to SMRP this year, uh, even more so. And so it's, I'm seeing this starting to grow. It's still, I'd say it's still at its infancy, but it's, 
it, it's I'll be honest with you. I know kudos to Blair and Cortex to, for for what they've done um, to to develop this. But I just I I'm just going to see this start to grow and grow even more so because it's uh um, it's pretty interesting. Blair made an interesting con, uh, comment, and uh, I don't know if people took it the right way or not, but I, I enjoyed it because he said at some point AI is going to start to be such a uh, powerful force that the the person who's running the AI is going to come down to the vibration guys and say, hey, you know what? In two weeks, you're going to see a defect. And I went, whoa, <laughs> I thought that was amazing. You know, so it's pretty cool the way it's going right now. It's it's an interesting, uh, uh, it's with us kind of working together, I, I'm, I'm really uh, enjoying the how, how it kind of complement it really complements each other and, and uh, I'm hoping to see more of it and, and I know it's going to happen because there's definitely a push for it and with people edu- being educated about it like with uh, Blair going out and speaking and and us uh, you know you know showing this stuff as well it's gonna it's gonna grow a lot more in the, in the near future. Oh yeah, and and it's like a, it's a great technology, and it, I mean it's applicable across the board, right? So one of the things that you know artificial intelligence or just computers are good at is looking at, you know, multiple technologies and trending across where like humans were good at pattern recognition on, I think it's like three or four is kind of our optimal point. And then once we get more than that, we start just reaching a point where we can't do it. And so it's... <laughs> you, took, you took Blair's class, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and he was one of the early podcasts too so we've talked about it a fair amount oh he's awesome he's awesome he's a great good friend good friend of myself the company and he's a very big supporter of our technology so i have nothing but great things to say about blair blair if you're hearing this you better thank me later on <laughs> that's right if you're listening blair reach reach out and tell us <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm excited about it. Like I'm, I'm using a little bit of machine learning at work to, to kind of do some anomaly detection on oil analysis samples, but I'm really excited where it's going. And, and I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be super powerful, right? Like it, we can see it evolving and, and it's going to make, uh, make our industry change a lot. I think over the next probably five to 10 years. I agree. And, and I, it, yeah, it's, and it's moving so fast. I think you're absolutely right. It might even be five years the way, because look at look at the Internet of Things these days, or the IIoT. That was just a whisper, what five or so years ago, and now it's like full blown. And then where's it going to go from here? I mean, things are just going to connect more. Things are going to talk more, and it, you know, it's just going to be a great um, moving forward. It's just going to be a great thing to see, um, and hopefully, we're going to see more reliable assets as it as it progresses. Yeah, that's that's at the end of the day, that's what matters, right? Absolutely. Awesome. So Sean, you know, I want to say, you know, first off, you know, I I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing your expertise with us. And and I definitely will have to have you back to talk more about ultrasound. Absolutely. I I appreciate you having me on. And as I said, I could talk for hours. So just be aware that we might have to do a lot of continuations here. You know, (laughs) (laughs) no, I'd be excited about it because I had a lot of fun today. So I guess, Sean, so for everyone listening who, you know, they want to get in touch with you or they want to get in touch with UE Systems, where can they find you? Well, our website obviously is uh, uesystems.com um, and you can go there. We have the links to our European side to our, and obviously our North American, which is Canada, uh, US and Mexico, etc. So you can go on there to uesystems.com. You can call us. Uh, our head office is 800-223-1325 uh, as well to, uh, to contact someone in the office. If you need to contact me, uh, my cell phone is uh, 
1974. You can reach me also at Sean M. So that's Sean, S-E-A-N, spelt the proper way, by the way. Uh-huh. <laughs> so Sean M, S-E-A-N-M. So my last name initial. So Sean M at uesystems.com. And we'd be happy to uh, to reach out and, and touch base with uh, anybody who wants to uh, look at starting an ultrasound program or maybe even needs help in where they're at. They maybe have already started, but now they're kind of stalled or stagnant. We'd be definitely like to help uh, in that way as well. So uh, definitely give us a call uh, and we will we'll be there for you guys. And Sean, are you going to be at any conferences coming up? Uh, UE Systems will be at IMC coming up. So that'll be what in a couple, uh, two or three weeks, I think. So we will have a booth there. Uh, I won't be there personally. Uh, we generally always take part in SMRP every year. So coming back from there a couple weeks ago, uh, which was a great conference. Uh, in Canada, we are very big supporters of SMRP as well. So we're going to be holding a SMRP chapter meeting uh, in Ontario, uh, the only uh, chapter in, in Canada, uh, the night of November 27th. You can look on the SMRP website for that as well. Uh, we'll be sponsoring that. And of course, there's always Main Train in Canada, who we are big supporters of, not only uh, in each chapter, but also as uh, as a uh, uh, a national event, uh, Main Train. We're always there. We've been doing that now for, gosh, since 2007. So I'm proud to be uh, a part of the growth in, uh, in uh, uh, PMAC and Main Train. So uh, those are our big ones right now uh, that we I would probably give a shout out to. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll definitely be, I'll be definitely uh you know speaking to your colleagues at uh, imc so that'll be fun yes yeah they'll be looking forward to, to talking with you awesome you know so sean you know for everyone listening you know first off um you know thanks for listening um if you haven't yet subscribed to rob's reliability project and rob's reliability tip of the day on your favorite podcast platforms definitely follow me on LinkedIn, follow Sean on LinkedIn, 